Welcome to Take It Down a Notch with Rob. And Lindsay Lee. Yeah. So we're here at the river today. At, yeah. uh We're outside of White Salmon. Bidgeon, I think it is. And uh, at the, the, the Brown Hunsaker family property. And uh, we have a special guest. We have uh, Ralph Papa. Papa Brown. Papa. And, uh, it's his real name. It's his first name now. <laughs> they changed it when they had all of us. My, my father-in-law, <laughs> Lindsay's grandpa. And uh, welcome, Ralph. Thank how you, you. How you doing? Glad to be here. Yeah. So we just wanted to take this chance to uh, talk with, with Ralph. And Ralph grew up in this area. Uh, were you born? I was born in Hood River. In Hood River. And um, for the first six months of my life, I lived in White Salmon at the Jewett house and then my parents bought some land over in Underwood so and that's where I grew up until I graduated from high school so now was that the the land that I know or is that different yes no this yeah it was down at the corner though, it down right? at the corner right that's okay. right so my parents had four acres and and they sold three of it then they they still have they still own the north one acre and that's where Beverly Dick lived now so perfect my sister yeah. So, so you lived in in Underwood most of most of your growing yes. up life. Yes, I did. Okay, fantastic. And uh, and this is where you met Grammy, right? Yeah, she she grew up in White Salmon, so um, I I went to the White Salmon school, and she did also. So oh, cool. That's, that's where we met. Childhood nice. sweethearts. <laughs> so we're we're actually at the river. We're in our RV trailer. That might be able to pick up. Uh, Jackson is uh, singing, not deep from no, the man cave. No, he's he's laughing. That, he's that's laughing his laugh. now. I think he was singing earlier, but he probably was. You might we'll hear, hear a lots. Little, you might hear a little out. river. You might hear some dogs barking. We this is the permanent. This is the mobile. The mobile take it down <laughs> in our studio. But um, we're actually uh, video recording and today. We're video recording. We'll see if that makes it. Uh, we have no in. idea what we're gonna do with that, but. We have been wanting to video record yeah, for a little want, while, so we'd like we'll to see. add we'll video see. to the to the podcast. So, um, so, and so you've done a lot of you've done a lot of work on the history of this area. I think, right? That's right. The um, where I where I grew up in Underwood, um, I lived a quarter of a mile away from the cemetery, and um, the Underwood Cemetery was basically donated by Amos and Ed Underwood. And I wanted to know um, if I actually lived on the original homestead of Ed and Amos Underwood, and I did. And I wanted to um, research all of the people in the Underwood that were buried in the Underwood Cemetery. And what I found out was that there was basically 30 pioneer families that are buried in the Underwood Cemetery. And uh, that's beside my parents now, and a few other people, of course. But that kind of got me interested in wanting to know who all of the territorial settlers were in the White Salmon area. Actually not. I wanted to know what they were in the Underwood area, but then some friends of mine encouraged me to look at the entire White Salmon area, and I says, no, that's too big. <laughs> but I ended up doing it, and so 10, 15 years later, I'm still working on it. And uh, so to um, clarify, uh, Washington became Washington Territories in about 1852. And 
1889, on November the 11th, Washington became a state. So there's a special um, connotation given to the settlers that were here before November 11th, 1889. And that's what I've been concentrating on identifying who all those soldiers or settlers were. And also, a lot of those settlers were Civil War veterans. So I paid particular attention to identifying the Civil War veterans. Uh -huh. And most of them were um, of the Union side. One or two were from the Confederate side. Okay. And um, I've identified where they've all been buried, and I've identified whether they have Civil War markers or whether they don't have Civil War markers or whether they're even on unmarked graves. Wow. And, um, and I ran across one individual that's very interesting um, that I uh, like to t kind of talk about, kind of like a fireside chat, but a guy by the name of John Dye, um, he was a Civil War veteran, and he served under Lieutenant Philip Sheraton. And Philip Sheraton, though prior to the Civil War, after he graduated from West Point in about 1855, he was sent to the Dalles to um, calm the Indian situation down. And while he was here, he had um, five different Indian mistresses and of one of those mistresses, he had a child, and her name was Sheridan. And um, the last name, um, her, and then she, she ended up married in Olney, O-L-N-E-Y. But anyway, the cool part about that is, is that after the Civil War, after the uh, Indian situation has calmed down, Philip Sheraton got sent back to the East Coast where he fought in the Civil War and became very famous, of course. But uh, John Dye, who was a soldier for him, moved out here to the Washington Territories and ended up marrying his mistress. Oh. <laughs> Which is quite a unique situation. And But shortly after he married his mistress, then... The daughter died. Sheraton died from, I don't know what the reasons were, but anyway. So yeah. anyway, and I'm the one that figured it all out. Wow. Nobody else knew wow. that. And um, so I've added to history because I've been able to figure that out based on various newspaper articles and obituaries and et cetera, and et cetera. Oh, wow. That is crazy. So, that's really cool. Yeah, that, that's, that was a very interesting thing. But in addition to this then, I decided to, since the Hunsaker family had, that I married into, the Hunsaker family, had a trunk full of pictures of the early days of white salmon, like in the 1890s and 1900s, because they came in 1894 to this area, I decided to write and research about the area. So I've been working, so my my Facebook group is really called the early years of the white salmon white salmon and surrounding areas okay. and um, so I mixed that in with the territorial settlers and then because in the territorial settlers prior to 1889 there's very few very few pictures yeah 
So, but I, and I wanted to show the pictures because people get interested in pictures. So anyway, that was what I ended up with. And I've been doing that research for over 15 years now. So, wow. and, um, and I've written over 110 different focused documents based on that because there was previous historians to me, but what they did was when they wrote, wrote their stories, some of it is they embellished on and made things kind of fictional right. and not real. So um, I tried to take out the stuff that couldn't be substantiated and make it real. And, um, and then I, in the books that they write, that they, it was all, you could not zero in on, you couldn't look to see where were all the churches, where were all the post offices, where were all the schools, how many were there? You couldn't, you couldn't identify any of that with what they wrote. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information, but you just, so I, I dissected that all out and that's why I ended up with about 110 focused documents that I've written now. Wow. So that's amazing. So, and they, but the, the real key thing that I wanted to do was identify all of the territorial settlers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've done that now. And just within the last month, I realized that there is a Washington State Genealogical Society. <laughs> <laughs> Try to pronounce that real fast. Right. So... And then they have a contest right now trying to identify, <clears throat> excuse me, they think that there's around 350,000 territorial settlers in the Washington Territory. Okay. The Washington Territory was not just what Washington State, but Idaho and parts of Montana. Would part, and so, right. so they're trying to identify by having people bring family stories forward and um, identify who all the Washington Territorial settlers were. So, mm -hmm. so basically, in the long run, there will be a big database that will identify who all of the settlers were. Yeah. And wow. if you happen to prove that you are a descendant of a Washington Territorial settler, then you can get a certificate saying that you are. Huh. Wow. So you, Lindsay, can. Yeah. You are a descendant of a Territorial settler. Yeah. So the territorial seller that you are re a descendant of is the Hunsaker side. Okay. But I, and I just about missed this mm -hmm. because they didn't come to White Salmon before 1889. Oh, they came okay. to in White Salmon in 1894. Oh. But as I was finishing up, I realized that in my process of identifying all the settlers in the White Salmon area, mm -hmm. some of the settlers I had to reach into Eastern Clickitat County and Western Skamania County. And so they're not really part of the White Salmon area. And then I had to all of a sudden I said to myself, well, the Hunsakers, they came to Washington in 1888. They came to Spokane. Oh. So that's part of the Washington Territory. So, right. wow. so then I could, I could actually classify them as a Washington Territorial settler. Huh. That's cool. So it's like a giant, like, puzzle <laughs> it, it is a very big puzzle and speaking about the Hunsakers mm -hmm. their original name is Hunsicker mm. and they came to the United States in 17 or yeah 1717 I think where it was did they come in Pen 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 from uh, 
Switzerland. Oh, okay. And then they, they came to Pennsylvania. But their name got butchered, <clears throat> but because of the different census takers, they called right. it Hunsicker, Hunsaker, mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. So, and but when they got to Spokane, they were they were still Hunsickers, and then, but when they come to White Salmon, they ended up buying some property from a guy by the name of Jacob Hums Jacob Hunsaker. Okay. And um, so. When they bought the property and they signed their name as Daniel Hunsicker, bought it from Jacob Hunsaker, mm -hmm. then the county clerk kind of thought that it was a family deal. And so, oh. and uh -huh. Jacob Hunsicker was very well known. He was a uh, legislature here in the area. Okay. And so the paperwork for the title came back as Daniel Hunsaker. Okay. So he oh. and since it had already been screwed up a number of times by various people, he said, "I oh, heck with it. I'll just stick with Hunsakers." <laughs> so, the white salmon Hunsakers really are not are not related to any of the other Hunsakers in the world. So, wow. and uh, just oh. like my name is Brown, B R O W N, which, mm -hmm. but my ancestors that came in the 1850s were Bruins, B R U N S. Oh, I didn't and know that. So, there's very few of us Browns that are related to each other. Oh, okay. Because oh. we had a Catholic priest was mm -hmm. one of them, and he never had any kids. Oh, so, okay. so anyway, so, so the amazing. Yeah, it is, that is amazing. Really interesting to like see <laughs> yeah. how that change and transition has happened. Right. Um. But talking about the river here, where we've been, uh, because getting off of family mm -hmm. and territorial settlers and whatnot. Anyway, um, Ronald Duncan Cameron is the one that came to White Salmon in the 1880s. And he's the one that actually um, settled the town site of White Salmon mm -hmm. to some degree. And, but he was a, a logger. And he moved out of the White Salmon area out into the Hewsome Trout Lake area. And he was the one that was the the, the uh, instigator for the beginning of the road system around here. And, but he wanted to log all the timber out in the Trout Lake area in the area out beyond where we're at now, but there was no way to get the logs to the mills, which there was a mill in Hood River and the Nikolai mill was down towards Cascade Locks on the other, on the Washington side. But the only way to get the logs to the river, and he had some experience of this in the previous location. I forget now exactly. I think that was in, um, uh, I don't know. I, I forget now. i got to go look at my, my files. <laughs> I, I've got over 30,000 files. That's where my brain is so, <laughs> and my computer. But That's where all of our brains are. Anyway, he, uh, he decided to float logs down the river. And... Um, so they made what they call splash dams up and down this river. And then they would collect all of their logs in the, in the dam. And then they'd open the dam gates up and then the logs are supposed to float down river. Well, they didn't do that exactly very well. And uh, some of the farmers didn't like the idea of them doing that. And um, the fishermen sure certainly didn't like it either, but uh, right. but they would have log jams, and um, 
So Kim, our daughter, who lives on this property in a tiny house or, or has camped here quite a bit, they found in the window when the river was low, they found um, a piece of a, uh, a handlebar of where they, it's called a PV, P-E-V-E-E. -E -E, and that's what the early log walkers would use to roll the logs to try to break up the dams. Yeah. Huh. And so anyway. Huh. That's so, pretty cool. So and and I've got pictures of of logs that have come down this river, mm -hmm. but down they're down closer to the mouth of the river. So huh. anyway. Anyway, lots of history in this area that people yeah. really don't really understand and that's what I'm trying to yeah. to get out. So in my, my my Facebook group um, has basically been a way for people to access my documents, but mm -hmm. people really don't want to access documents; they want to see pictures. Yeah. So, right. so I'm now going back to my all of my documents and I'm pulling out pictures and I'm putting them on my Facebook. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, well, and and I write you have about people it. People post too and go, "What yeah. do you guys think about this?" Or yeah, you know, here's a picture that I just found or whatever, and then like what time of year was this or whatever. Like, it's very interesting to see questions and then um, have Papa answer, but also sometimes sometimes pe people add their opinions as well or other knowledge as well as what uh, you put on. How many, how many people are part of this Facebook group? 1,600 people. 1,600 people. Wowzer. Yeah. So Papa is an influencer is what, <laughs> <laughs> what we keep saying in our family. Well, and the other, the other thing here is that the Glenwood area, which is north of here, closer to Mount Adams, was basically settled before anywhere th anything else. White Salmon was settled, but White Salmon was just a, a dropping off point to get to the to the river, right. because mm -hmm. people in Glenwood were cattle raisers and and they would produce butter and milk and what, and they had to get that stuff to in to to the market. So White Salmon binge area really was settled i mean and that's that's what's going to be interesting because i'm in the process now of identifying how many territorial settlers settled in glenwood how many territorial settlers settled in trout lake yeah and how many territorial settlers were here in Houston, and how many territorial settlers were in underwood yeah. and out of a say if there was a thousand i'm just going to guess right now but i don't know but mm -hmm. if there was a thousand territorial settlers in this area i would say that around 600 of them would be in the glenwood area and then you split mm -hmm. the other 400 between the other surrounding communities mm -hmm. so interesting that's uh and, and talking about my questions just mm -hmm. recently i decided to 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 post some bridges across the lower white white salmon river mm -hmm. and um and how to access them the time frames and whatnot and then i brought up the fact that there was the only way that you could get from white salmon to underwood was to go down chimney hill down down the east or the east side of the river across the bridge that was condemned in 1919 to the other side and um and that and that's kind of the other interesting point but uh that there was no road on the north bank of the Columbia River until 1922 so people had to travel back roads and mm -hmm. uh, to get anywhere but I talked about Chimney Hill and Chimney Hill has always been 
a very uh, elusive conversation because nobody knows about it. It's only mentioned two or three different times. And, um, and that's kind of what my key has been um, over the last 10, 12 years is taking these things that have only been mentioned once or twice and try to figure them out. Like the Giddings family, for instance, in Bingen. And I finally figured them out. But it, it just takes an awful lot of time and a lot of clues from a lot of different places. Well, anyway, I mentioned this, the, the thing about the chimney hill. And all of a sudden, one of my followers said, my grandma talked about the chimney hill. And, and, and her name was uh, Dora Thornton. And I says, oh, Dora Thornton, I think it was her son, Charlie, is the one that actually broke through the chimney hill and made the Bald Mountain Curves. And she says, I wish I was only 15 years old and I wish I would have talked more. I would have asked more questions, but yeah. you know, it's little tidbits like that yeah. that are That's just cool. the fact that it was a Thornton because yeah. then I had a feeling that it was a Thornton anyway. Yeah. And uh, so anyway. Ralph is quite, who's quite the detective. He's yeah, good at making <laughs> connections. He is, uh, I, I, at one point he was working with the, history national the history of white salmon people and he was showing me um there was some discussion i think in the museum where it was like well this is a picture from this day and you were looking at it and he went no it's not and they're like yeah it is we know this is we got it from the horse's mouth basically and he's like <laughs> no because they didn't put the power poles or something in here at this point until this day and that store burned down on this day, so it has to be on this year, and probably in these like few months because of all the. It, it was like, and they were kind of like blown away. They're like, no, and then they looked at it and went, <laughs> "You're right." Oh my god! So speak, I didn't hear that. Yeah, well, there is a picture in a history book, the Clickitat County history book. Mm-hmm. That should have been put together by historians, mm-hmm. but there's a picture of sheep coming down Main Street in White Salmon, and it's dated 1908. Mm-hmm. So there's a sheep herd coming down Main Street, but in the background is the Methodist church that was built in 1911. Um. So it couldn't have been dated 1908 because the <laughs> church wasn't there then. And in fact, I've been inside that Methodist church. Yeah. And they have a picture that's dated 1910. And they says, that can't be. That's not 1910. You weren't built until 1911. So, I mean, I mean, in the, yeah. so anyway, it's, it's kind of things like that that just kind of bug me that. Yeah. And then realizing that some of the historians prior to me have actually fell into that trap yeah. of not identifying things in the proper time frame. Yeah. And, right, not uh, double checking. Yeah, no, no double checking. But you got to give them credit for at least trying. Yeah. And right. nowadays we have the ability with the internet to do a lot more. True. There's a lot more historical documents that are yeah. available. It's mm-hmm. easier to get all that information. Easier to get all mm-hmm. information. Yeah, that's, so. pretty, that's pretty amazing. So so you you grew up here and and married married Ruth in this area and then soon after high school you you left this area right yes i went into the the navy yeah what'd you what'd you do in the navy okay so i became a missile technician in the navy um and and that's that's a pretty good question because being a missile technician um 
that opened up when I got out. I was able to get a grade in, if you will, going to work for the telephone company because I had some knowledge. So, but how did how come I how did I become a missile technician? What gave me the qualifications to do that? So when I was in high school, one of my best buddies um, lived a quarter of a mile from me, and his dad was in a wheelchair, and his dad was a uh, a re he, his dad was a repairman on radios and TVs, and mm -hmm. this is back in the days of black and white TVs, and so he had a workshop in his in his house, and he would wheel up to it and do his thing and on radios, but he got me interested and. And he helped me build a crystal radio uh, that I could take to my house, and and there was a certain area in my in my yard that I can actually use the crystal radio, which had no batteries or anything, just and I could listen yeah. to the radio station from Hood River on this crystal radio. So, you know, just things like that. And That's but cool. but I had that in you know that background, if you will, of inquisitive, and so yeah. and I was able to. I, I must have passed some qualification test or something and got me to be a missile technician and which to me was no big deal but you know it was kind of interesting to be able to track missiles that we were shooting at drones in the air and see how close they came to them because that was what I was doing is telemetry okay. is keeping track of how close the missiles were wow. and whatnot. so anyway that's so but how, anyway how long, how long did you stay in for I stayed in three years. Uh, I didn't have to. I, I didn't stay in my entire time because our ship was going to Vietnam, okay. and I would have been discharged in Vietnam. So they let me out three months early. Okay. So, which is okay with me. I didn't want to stay in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the telephone deal that that was a short term. That that didn't really last for very long. No, I stayed with the telephone company. Yeah. <laughs> That's a little sarcasm there. <laughs> I, I was I was wondering what Dad was saying. I was like, "What do you yeah. mean?" He was so, until I was little. So, and, and that's an interesting story as well because um, I um, pulled some stunts, if you will, uh, that if I was working for the telephone company or anybody else today, they would have fired me on the spot. <laughs> but, uh, but I. I had never driven um, anything but an Ellis Chalmers tractor at home and um, around White Salmon area here. Um, so they gave me this green truck with a ladder on top of it, and I would go out and in in Portland, yeah. uh, busy Portland, you know. Wow. And uh, so anyway, I pulled a few, <laughs> made a few bad decisions in my driving situation. Let's put it that way, and. Uh, so wait, like crashing or like speeding tickets or worse? Well, the, <laughs> <laughs> hold up, you can't just say that. No, no, I've never heard about this. No, it, it was two two accidents, and okay. um, one is that I it was five o'clock at night, and I but I needed another piece of ground wire to finish up job, so I drove back to the to the uh, to the shop, which is on the mm -hmm. corner of Tenth and Mill. And every time before I'd went in and out, they had these great big doors, and they were open on the end coming in going out yeah. but this time they were closed because it was closing time and I honked my door honked my horn and mm -hmm. and somebody was in the office and they let the door up and 
and then I go to the outdoor and it was down and but um, and I saw and then there was a little pull chain there and I said oh, okay so I pulled the chain and it goes up and I says okay so I guess I guess how do I because once you pull out then you're right in traffic and I said and so I said they must have a delay on it well I pulled it and I gunned it and it didn't have a delay on it. So <laughs> the door come down and my ladder ran into it and ripped the door off. And so, oh my goodness, how yeah. have I never heard this story before? Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah. so then they, um, they decided to move me out, not in the suburbs, suburbs, but a little bit farther, but it was still a driving situation. And, um, and this was probably a month or two later. I was at a different garage now working out of and uh, that morning the the foreman told us this is if anybody ever goes to this a particular apartment house make sure you do things right the, the apartment manager is complaining that people aren't you're not mm -hmm. hiding your wires and right. I, so I looked at my thing and I said oh man I got to go there today <laughs> but but all I had to do was go into the basement B box and take off a piece of wire to open up a pair of, of of wires for somebody down the street right. and that had to be done before like 11 o'clock or something so I did that but that particular day and this is close to the Portland YMCA and I says oh and there was something going on that day so and you're not supposed to park in a customer's parking lot but I decided that and then I went I circled the six blocks area and I couldn't find a parking space so and there was nobody in the customer's parking lot in the basement. So I decided I'd just go in. Mm -hmm. It would have been okay if I would have went in to the right instead of, or, or the left, but I kind of centered going, going in. <laughs> and I, my, my, my ladder on top was a little bit higher than the clearance was. And so I broke through the, the soffit and underneath the soffit was a six inch steam pipe. Oh my gosh. And, and my, <laughs> My ladder hit the nut that was holding the steam pipe together. No. <laughs> Papa. Yeah. So anyway, and and there was only three or four cars that were in there and they, they all wanted out right now, right then, you know, but I could but I was stuck. And so so and then the cars were that were out, they wanted in, you know, and and so I was in trouble, but and I figured, well, okay, if I let the air out of some of my tires, maybe I, you know, and so I did that, and uh -huh. that didn't work. <laughs> so then I called my foreman. I went to the manager's office and told him that I was stuck in there, you know, called the foreman. So he called someone out, and um, they had to take the, they put a transmission jack under the back and pulled my back wheels off. And <laughs> No way. <laughs> yes, and so um, I, sh I, I was afraid I was going to get fired, and they should have. But what they did was they promoted me. <laughs> to be a walking installer in oh i Portland. see <laughs> they promoted me actually i got more money yeah well so, there you go and, and and there was no risk that you were going to run into another anything <laughs> so they, they, they really needed people <laughs> they, they 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 took my truck away from me and then and then you know after being a walking installer i was i was pretty good in fact i was so good that they hired a repairman to come behind me to fix my problems because i was fast Okay. I wasn't good, but I was fast. <laughs> I don't know about that. But one. you got so you got them up and running. I got them up then, and running, then and somebody then somebody need to clean up the, make the, it a little the, prettier. And then they hired somebody to come along behind me and fix all my, you know. <laughs> so, and then and then they promoted me after that to 
another job, and then they moved me to Seattle, and they just kind of promoted me along. So, how, how many years wow. were you with? Thir Thirty, thirty-five. Thirty-five. So I made, I made it thirty-five years. It's crazy. I know. That is such and a good time. So you started, you started, just a poleman, just going up and fixing poles, and yep. then you, when you exited out, one of the last things you did was, you did the. You organized the communication, the 911 system for the Goodwill Games, right? Right. Well, the uh, the 911 system came after the Goodwill Games, but okay, uh, but it was the emergency. Yeah. So yeah. I that was my big thing was the communications for all of the Goodwill Games, and mm. in 1990, and then and then when the 911 system started going towards being instead of just picking up the phone and telling people that you, telling them that you what your address was, well, right. not the you know. The caller ID was coming into effect, but that was a whole new set of technologies that right. we needed to. Yeah, you did a lot with this, if I remember right, the schools, because if you picked up and called 911 for for the school, it went to the right the district office, basically. That, this. Right. Everything went to the district office and then went to the phone company, so right. the, the operator would think you were calling from the district office, right? and you could be long ways away. Right. That's right, exactly. So... Uh, and and I was I as I was exiting the company was is the technology was coming to the point where you could use your cell phone and they could zero in where you were calling from. But I never got into that. Right. That was right. that was another advancement. But basically, I grew up just ahead of the wave. One of the very interesting situations was is that when I was managing the mini computer center we had to write our own operations manuals because that was all kind of new mm -hmm. and i hired some people from the university of washington that were familiar with the unix operating system mm -hmm. and they would have to write these operational manuals for the clerical force to be able to how they spun the tapes and all that kind of stuff anyway but they had to write the manuals out, and then we'd have to send our information to the 33rd floor where the IBM word processors were, you know. And then they would make it, type, type it up, and would send it, they'd send it back to you in paper, and then you'd look at it, and you make corrections and back and forth. Right. Well, anyway, at the same time I was doing that, I was also in charge of the repair people for the mini computers. And I asked my technicians, I says, well, how do you repair an RPO6 if it goes bad. And they said, well, we just swap boards, swap the motherboard or swap, you know. And I said, well, how do you know whether you got a good board? And he said, well, we don't know that. And I said, well, can do we have enough spare parts we can make a spare mini computer? And they said, well, we do. And I said, well, let's do it. And so they did. And um, and then I asked my, my, my managers that were making these operations manuals that says okay now that we've got this unix operating system working on this spare mini computer um can you use it to do your own word processing and this is before word processing was even you know available to the public right. so type of thing so anyway so they said yes but we'll have to have dumb terminals because that's all we had at that time right. on a modem connected up to the the maintenance center which was across town and i said okay let's do it so we put that all together and then we started make our my people started doing their own typing on their own dumb terminals mm. and then pretty soon my district manager called me into the office and says uh, 
I got a complaint from the 33rd floor. You're not using them anymore. <laughs> and I said, well, that's right. Well, I'm not. We're doing our own word processing. He said, you can't do that. <laughs> we had a long discussion, and uh, I just about got fired because of that. Wow. And, uh, but uh, we got our way, and uh, that was kind of the beginning of, you know, and then a few more, few years later, well, then the little... Uh, the Commodore 64 computer was out, so I was doing my own computing at home. And then, then the little Apple thing came out, and we started, you know. But uh, but I took advantage of the, the other words, I took advantage of the whatever was available. So, right. technology-wise. So Yeah, wow. that's, that's crazy. And almost got fired a lot of times, <laughs> it sounds like. Well, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. Well... I think I think we'll, we'll draw we'll draw this this conversation to a close. It's yeah. starting to starting to head towards eighty degrees, I think, in here, and we might. And Henry is exploding yeah. outside, as you probably can hear. <laughs> I don't know. He's very upset. I doubt I'll be able to get uh, get Henry out of the recording, but uh, it's uh, it's been great great having you yeah, on thank the you. podcast. Thank you, Papa, for coming. And, yeah. and uh, we'll we'll put this out, and yeah, feel free to go to. Uh, Ross' Facebook page. We didn't get to his other page. He has another, a whole other group too. Yeah, with, we should, we definitely cool need thing. another. So, yeah, we'll have to do another a part two down the road. But uh, what, what the friends of? Okay, the early years of white salmon and surrounding communities. Yeah, so look that up on Facebook and and join that that group. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Even if you're not, even if you don't have a connection to it, it's neat to see. It's really uh, cool. All the all the pictures and you know, make Ralph feel good. Read, read one or two of those papers at least yeah. open it up and, and make it look like you've read it so <laughs> but no it's uh ralph's done some amazing work and mm -hmm. and uh i know a lot of people in this area are really uh really happy to have him uh doing all the work that he's doing so yeah. anyway thanks thanks for having me thanks for and coming. thanks for listening guys we will see you on the next episode mm -hmm.